Well, good morning. Oh, man. Let's try again. Good morning. There we go. You know what? We started a series last week called The Heart of the Master. Just who is this Jesus? What is he like? What makes him tick? What is his character? What is his passion? And last week we started by looking at two men on the road to Emmaus and their transforming moment as they got a chance to walk with him and talk with him and hear from him and be trained by him and have their eyes open to him. Last week we saw two men get burning hearts and open eyes. My prayer for us is over the next five weeks as we continue this series, Heart of the Master, that we meet him face to face. We're going to look at some passages of scripture where we see him acting and interacting with people and we're going to learn of him and invite him into our lives in different ways. Today, we've got the opportunity to meet him as healer, compassionate healer. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. You know, the ushers are going to be coming forward. They've got some Bibles in their hands. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we're just going to be walking verse by verse through this. So just uh, raise your hand. We'd love to get a Bible to you, okay? Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to read through this in portions. As we get to each point, we'll read through that portion of it, okay? This is a story. It's a narrative. There's a lot going on. He is working and he is interacting with people. So let's keep our eyes peeled to what he's saying, to what he's doing, to what he's feeling, to what those around him are feeling, okay? Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, the healer's heart. Here's the first point we want to learn from this, okay? Jesus has great compassion. Trust him. Jesus has great compassion. Trust him. Let's take a look at these verses. He starts out right away in verse 11. It says, Soon afterward, soon after what? Right before it, see, all these stories, they're, they're aligned together. And so when it says soon afterward, we need to look before it and find out what came before. And it was the centurion. And this is when he was coming to Christ and he was saying, can you please heal my servant? Don't worry about going there. You've got the authority and the power. I believe, just say the word. And even Jesus, it says, was amazed as the centurion displayed great faith. And there was a healing that occurred. Let me tell you, the buzz got out. The word got out that Jesus had healed. Not just being in his presence. Somehow that seemed easier to them or something. But when he, when he healed from a distance, like, wow, now we're talking authority, right? I don't know if I really get that, but it really started to motivate them. And so all of a sudden they're saying, he's healing from distance. He's feeling in, healing in proximity. We better hang around this guy. So it says, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, probably about a day's walk from where the centurion servant thing occurred. And it says, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. Don't you find it interesting that they delineated between the two? Disciples and a great crowd. You know, the guys who were seriously following Jesus and cared to hear what he had to say and wanted to watch him work and learn from him and be like him. And... Some people looking for a good show. 
That's kind of what's going on, okay? So we've got this huge collection of people, this throng. Can you only imagine it? They're walking down a dirt road. You're probably seeing the dust just boiling up as all these feet are kicking up dirt as they're walking, you know? And, and they're all laughing and joking and they're talking and, and everybody's kind of hopeful and expectant. Some just because they want to see, you know, the next kind of magic trick sort of thing. And some because they really want to see the Savior teaching and training. They're learning from the Master, Okay, so we have disciples and a great crowd, this huge throng of people all intermixed, and they're moving along towards the city called Nain. And so about a day's walk of dust kicking up and talking back and forth. And did you see that? Oh, man, you should have seen what I saw last week when he did this. You should have heard what he said when and the buzz is on. Okay, everybody's talking. The great crowd went with him. Verse 12, it says, as he, Jesus, drew near to the gate of the town drew near to the gate of the town. Now, what we need to keep in mind is the gate of these Jewish cities was a very important place. The elders sat there. So those who were more wise in the town, the the ones who had lived life and had great experience, they sat at that gate. And that was the place where you would go for advice and for counsel and for assistance. It was the place where you would enter into the city and where you would exit the city. So it had the basic exit entrance thing going on, but it had more than that. The gate of the town was this important moment where people would learn and be trained. So isn't it interesting that in divine providence, he comes to the gate of the city and here is where the meeting occurs. It says, behold. It's a great word, isn't it? Behold. How often do you use that word in your daily living? Do you walk around and say, behold. You know, like you're making breakfast in the morning and you get done with the children. You know, you set it up for the children. Behold, here's the... We don't talk that way, right? But it, what it meant was, look at this. Check this out. So this is one of those, okay, if you've been sleeping up till the moment, wake up call, big story moment. Listen to this. Behold, he says, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So let's picture this for a moment, okay? We've got the crowd coming in from, from this side. They're headed towards Nain, right? And we've got the, the dust is boiling up and they're all talking and joking and laughing and everybody's, you know, you're pushing each other around and you're talking about stories and telling what you've seen and getting all excited about the next thing. And it's like, hey, we're coming into the next town. I wonder what we're going to see. And as they're walking along, all of a sudden, they come across another crowd. And this crowd is somber. There's weeping. There's crying, there's quietness, there's deep respect for the pain that this woman is going through. And as they walk along in a procession, her son is leading the way, being carried. He's died. And there are these guys carrying what's called a beer. It's not really a casket. We'll get to that in a second, but kind of carrying this open uh, stretcher-like thing. And as they're carrying him along, there is either silence or weeping. And that's it. Can you see the contrast? We have this hyper excitement and this extreme dejection as the two crowds are coming together. And Christ and the woman are leading the way as they come together. Okay? In that moment, we see a couple of things that we need to point out. Okay? Okay? Only son. 
of her mother, of his mother. So we now have this mother walking along, and this is her only son, which means the family line through the male side won't be carried out. But it also says, what kind of mother? A widow. It says she's a widow. So now she has no husband and no son. Basically, the social security plan is falling apart for her. And everybody knows it. How is she going to be cared for? What is going to be the plan that we end up using to care for this woman? There is nobody with. And now you watch Christ as he is leading the way. Granted, we have the divine. So he knows possibly what's going on already, right? He's fully aware of what's going on there. But using your eyes, you can also see that there is no other male figure standing with that woman as she walks. She is given the prominent position of lead. And there is no other male figure there. No son, no husband. She is wrestling with this problem alone as they walk and as she weeps and as she mourns, as she is in fear and as she is hurting, as she is longing, mourning, and wondering about tomorrow all in one fell swoop. And Christ sees this and he steps forward. It says in verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, and when the Lord saw her, not, and when he just happened to cast a glance as he was walking past, but when he saw her, we really need to hear this word. It means he didn't just catch a glimpse of her, but he saw the whole of what she was going through. He saw the gist of her problems. He saw the core of her pain. He saw the depth of her need. He saw her. And he, it says, had compassion on her. He had compassion on her. What does that word compassion mean? Basically, a good word for it would be a capacity to feel what she is feeling. The ability to know what she's going through in that moment. To take upon himself her worries, her fears, her hurts, and to say, I'm right here with you in this. He saw her and he had compassion on her. Now, in this moment where he steps forward, he says, he stepped up to her and he said, do not weep. Do not weep. I can only tell you that on many fronts in the Jewish community, this was a horrifying moment. Okay? First of all, when the procession is moving forward in a funeral form, you do not interrupt the procession. Not unlike with us, right? We pull up to an intersection and you see a string of cars with their lights on. You don't try to bolt through it because you're trying to get over to the local convenience store. Your goal is to step back and wait with respect as the pain that's being brought out and being processed forward is allowed to go together in one group. And what we're supposed to do is allow this to pass. In Jewish community and culture, you would never stop that procession. You would not step, stop it at all. What you might do is step in behind and follow with them and begin to try to emote some compassion as well. What you might do is join the back. But what you never do is stop it. Certainly what you never do is approach the one who has lost and say something to them. You would not do that. And then, not only would you not do that, 
But then he walks up and says, stop crying. Stop weeping. What in the world? Like, I can only tell you that the crowd coming this way with all the hubbub and the blah, 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 blah. What, what's he thinking about? What did he just do? And then he steps up and says, do not weep. And now everybody's like, whoa, what is he doing? Can you only imagine that moment? It's one of those things where people are like, what's he thinking about? What did he just say to her? Right? He either means you're overreacting. Stop weeping. You're overreacting. In which case, he's a jerk. Or, or he means there's something you misunderstand, but what could we be misunderstanding? It's kind of clear what's going on. And in this moment, all the crowds have been hushed and all the attention is turned. And we're at the gate of the city. Something is about to be learned. Something is about to be learned. You know, when we see a moment like this, we need to learn from it. We need to basically say, Christ, who are you? What are you like in our lives? We see a God who sees us where we're at. We see a God who recognizes pain that we're going through. We see a God who begins to take compassion upon the moment. That's who our God is. That's the heart of Jesus Christ. It is about seeing us where we are and coming alongside of us in the midst of our pain. He is all over where you're at and what you're struggling with. We serve a risen Savior and we serve a compassionate God. And he has a heart for your hurt, for your fear, and for mine. And as he reaches out to us, I mean, think about it. The God of the universe, he is everywhere. He is right here with you, with me. He is right next to us, right in and about and through us. And he sees it all. And he has compassion for where we are. And he is approaching us in our pain to talk with us. Hebrews 4, 16 basically says, draw near to the throne of grace in your time of need. Draw near to the throne of grace in your time of need. We serve a risen Savior. Hebrews 4, 16. Draw near to the throne of grace. In the midst of this time of need, we have the opportunity to do this. Try to rest your Bibles on your laps for a moment. Take your hands and clasp them closed and hold them up. Now, think about the biggest struggle, the biggest fear that you're going through. What is that biggest pain, that biggest distraction, that moment of hurt that you've got? You got it? Put it right in the middle of this clasp. That's what you're holding on to. You got it? What does it mean to have a compassionate God that we trust in? It means that you put your hands forward and you open up your hands and you lay it out to him and you say, this hurt, it's for you and me to share together. Can you walk through this with me, Lord? I trust you with all I have. You are my compassionate God. Hold it open to him. Give it to him and trust him with all you've got. He knows what you're going through and let it go to him. It's his.
deep breath. Some of us might be going through some small things right at the moment. Praise God. Good for you. Some of us might be going through some monster things right now. This is the moment to be holding those things out to him and trusting him with all you've got. Are you ready to trust him? You might have some experiences in your life where you're going, I don't know if he's that compassionate. Trust me, he's compassionate. We're going to get to it in in the next two points. Lean on him. The truth is this, Jesus Christ, compassionate one. Jesus Christ, compassionate one. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're struggling with. Hand it over to him with all you've got. Okay? So that's our first point. Jesus has great compassion. Trust him. The second point. Jesus has healing authority. Rely on him. Jesus has healing authority. Rely on him. Okay, let's step into this. Verse 14. Then he came up and he touched the beer, it says in the ESV. Some say casket, that kind of thing. It's the thing that was carrying the body. Casket would be a little inappropriate, just so you know. It was actually like an open stretcher. They typically very quickly got the body wrapped and put on a stretcher and carried it out to the place for burial, okay? And it is an open stretcher. So they're walking along with an open stretcher and this body has been cared for or prepped. And that beer is what he walks up to and touches. Now remember, we have just had Jesus Christ. Let's backtrack for a second. He has just horrified everybody by stopping the Jewish procession. He's horrified them. He has just hushed the crowd as he approaches the woman hurting. And then he makes everybody somewhat disgusted and questioning as he actually says to her, do not weep. Full attention is on him. Most are waiting to see how he's going to dig himself out of this nasty trap. How in the world are you going to get out of this one? You have messed up badly. Okay? So now the way he gets himself out is he walks over to where the dead body is and he touches the beer, the thing that they were carrying him with, the stretcher. And in touching, Numbers 19 says he is now unclean for a day. And if he happens to touch that dead body, unclean for a week. He is really going over the line, man. You are missing it. Every single law and policy and tradition. What are you thinking about as he touches that stretcher? And in the moment of touching the stretcher, most people were probably in their hearts going, I knew there had to be some time where he was going to totally blow it. Unbelievable, right? We've got that moment going on. This big, dark, heavy cloud moment. And the pallbearers stood still. Well, I don't know what else you do, you know? Like you're walking along and the guy starts talking to the woman. You're like, what's he doing? And then he reaches over and he touches the thing you're carrying. You're like, okay. So you stand there going, should we walk? Should we ignore him? We're kind of leading the thing. Should we just keep it going? What? And this little, you know, as they're checking back and forth between each other. And so they stand there totally confused with what he's doing. And Jesus then, as they stopped, says, young man, I say to you, arise. Now, I don't think he says, young man, I say to you, arise. I don't think he says it like that. I don't think he walks by and he goes, "Ah, why don't you arise? It's not this little suggestive moment. This is an authoritative moment. As he says, young man, he's touching the beer, remember, young man, I say to you, arise. And in that moment, he sits up. Now imagine you're the pallbearer, right? You're doing one of these. Rise. What the? Whoa. Right. And now what do you do? Like, set it down. 
That sounds like a good plan, right? So you set this thing down, and Jesus is standing there, and the guy starts talking. That's what it says. He just starts speaking. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up, and he began to speak. That's a good thing to do when you're alive, right? So what do you think he said? Wow, it's a little tight in this stuff you put me in. Like, what do you think he said? You wouldn't believe what I've just seen and been through. You, I have no idea what he said. I wish they would have recorded. It would have been a great moment. Not the point, not the focus, so they don't record it. But the real reality is we have a guy who is sat up and he's talking. And he was dead. And as he sat up and is talking, as he is standing or sitting there next to Christ, Jesus then gives him to his mother. Can you imagine this moment? As he reaches out and takes his hand and locks arms and stands him up and hands him over to his mother, who has just been weeping and crying and leading a processional, who has been pouring out her heart in angst and wonder. And all of a sudden, in the midst of the tears, her son sits up and is talking and and now the tears now you're trying to wipe the tears out of your eyes as you're trying to figure out and he walks over to you and he hugs you and you hug him and can you imagine the moment of joy and of grief and, and all this stuff mixed together and you're starting to sift it out and just keep the good feelings do you know what i'm saying it's one of those totally confusing moments and you're waiting for it to, like is this a dream what's going on i can't believe it and she throws her arms around him and they talk and they chat, and they interact. Life has begun again. When Jesus said, do not weep, he was saying, you don't know what's about to come. When Jesus said, do not weep, he was saying, the healing, compassionate, authoritative one is in your presence. Things will be different in just a second. Hang on. And then he brought his authority to bear. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine that joy? Can you imagine the confusion that became clarity in the midst of this miracle? Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus gave him to his mother. There was a point to all that was going on. We're going to touch on it when I hit the third point, but I just want to note this. It says, fear sees them all and they glorified God. Fear sees them all and they glorified God. This was a moment where the crowd got hushed. They were horrified at his not understanding of tradition. What is he, a ding-dong? Come on, don't you know the policies? That's not the way the procedure works. Look at, look at, you shouldn't have done that. What are you doing? And all of a sudden, everything goes other. Everything is completely different. They are completely enamored with who this is. God being glorified in the moment of healing, in the moment of change, in the moment of difference, the compassionate healing God. Has made an impact. Now, a couple of things I just want us to notice here, okay? Let's just walk through this real quickly. First of all, note, remember this is the only son of this woman, and she's a widow, right? The miracle brings her son back to life. Notice, she's still a widow. Christ stepped in in a moment and changed the situation to be able to draw clear attention and glory to himself. He does heal. He did move. He did make some change. And yet, there's some things he decided, those are things we're going to leave. Those are things we're going to work with as they are. In this story, we've got a very clear picture of a God who chooses to work in the midst of our physical 
And some things he adjusts. And some things he leaves the same. As he draws glory to himself. I have no idea what that was. I don't think that was me. All right. So that's the first point. The second thing is, uh, we do want to notice also, there were a lot of people in this crowd. I mean, a lot of people, right? And nobody else stands up and goes, me too, I was just healed. Right? I mean, there's got to be somebody who has a hitch in their hip, you know, or a little pain in the foot, or man, they've just been walking all day. Maybe their knees aching a little bit, or, you know, their eyes a little blurry and they can't see that well, or like something's got to be going on in the rest of the crowd, and that wasn't spoken to. That wasn't what was adjusted either. (laughs) Just getting your attention. Wake up call. When we work with this and we see what he's doing, we need to recognize this simple statement. Physical healing is God's choice. He does choose to work physically, but it is his choice. He chooses moments in time where he is drawing glory to himself. And he's working us through things. Sometimes he chooses to walk us right through that physical pain. Sometimes he chooses to walk us around it. Real focus on him. A real focus on him. That's the main point of what's going on. So what about healing today? That's great. This is 2,000 years ago. You got Jesus walking along. Nice story. But what about today? What is healing today? What does that mean to us? How should I be looking at this? So three quick points about healing today that I just want to make sure we have in mind, okay? Number one, we should pray for healing. It is a real part of today. James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, very clearly talks about praying for healing. Elders anointing with oil, praying for healing, that the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. It talks very clearly about an interaction of one another's. James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you might be healed. There's spiritual healing in that. There's physical healing in that. There is real physical healing today. Do pray for it. Do go after it. It's still today. We have a risen Savior who makes an impact in the world. Healing is real. Number two, don't forget this. The primary goal is a heart change for him. The primary goal is a heart change for him. Physical healing, God will handle as he sees fit. The primary goal is a heart change. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it's probably worth flipping to, okay? 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. I'll give you a chance to get there. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. 1 Peter is a book that's all about wrestling with the unexpected. Suffering, pain, heartache trouble. And how do we manage that? 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, well, big words, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's the call? That whatever we go through, it's going to shape our hearts. Whatever we go through, it's going to end in praise and honor and glory for him. And sometimes he will choose to actually remove. And other times he will choose to call us through. And so the widow was called to remain a widow. And yet, she was called 
to embrace her living son. Can you imagine? And we have this opportunity as we walk with our Savior not to have the magic genie. You see, if we stand up today, we could say, hey, I want to preach to you this thing. You know, it's called health, wealth, and prosperity. And whatever you want, you get and just pray for it. And it's just going to be amazing. It's all comfort and it's all you. And then I sit down and what a disservice we've done to actually growing and being more like him. He sees where you're at. He has compassion upon what you're feeling. And he is moving with you in the midst. Sometimes in direct physical healing. And sometimes in a call to tested faith. Wow. What a God. He knows enough to work our hearts. And to work with our hearts. And that's the third point in about the healing today. All believers are healed. Did you know that? All believers are healed. This third piece of what we need to know about healing today, all believers are healed. What do you mean? It says in 1 Peter 2, 24, by his wounds, we have been healed. By his wounds, we have been healed. It's done. It's over. At the time we trust in Jesus Christ, we go from Ephesians 2, 1, dead in our trespasses and sins, to alive in him. He has breathed new life into us. You, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, have been raised up on that beer, not unlike the Son. You have experienced new life. You have experienced the presence of him. You have experienced the living Savior. You have been healed. We all experience the spiritual growth and awakening as we come to life in him. Is there healing today? You better believe it. And it's all about bringing our spiritual awareness and awakeness to him. It's bringing us alive to him. Just think about this. Physical, 70, 80, 90, 100 years we get this physical. But in eternity we get the spiritual. He is working with the spiritual. And at times he touches the physical to draw attention to it. Do you see what I'm saying? He is working with the spiritual, the eternal, and at times he even touches the physical to draw our attention to it. Praise be to God. We serve a compassionate, healing Savior. That's what it's all about. Do you believe that Jesus can heal? Do you believe he can heal you? Do you believe that he can impact your world? The spiritual world. Yeah, sure, I think I'll give him the spiritual. The emotional world. Well, now we're talking about my feelings. Those seem to go all over the place. Even into our emotional world, he begins to heal and train and touch us. The physical world. Mm, really? It's wake-up call time. We serve a risen Savior, and he does heal. He chooses the when, he chooses the where, he chooses the how, but it is all about bringing your heart to an alive, awake moment with him. Welcome to the compassionate, healing Savior. Trust him with all you've got. Are you ready to lean on him and rely on him? Are you re ready to give him your heart in the midst of a tough moment? He is a healing God. Well, he hasn't healed me in the past. I've gone through some pretty tough stuff. Maybe he was calling you through it. First Peter 1 tells us he calls us through a lot of things to shape our heart. Maybe he's calling you to him through some tough moments. 
we're there with you. That's what this body's for, is to hurt together, to cry together, to support and rally together. May the God of this world begin to shape you and shape me as we walk through our tough moments, keeping our eyes fixed on him. Amen? As we walk through our tough moments, keeping our eyes fixed on him. Amen? It's not an easy one to say amen to, is it? Yeah, amen. I'll walk through the tough one. Yeah. That's what it's about. It's about his glory, however he wants us called to it. The compassionate one. Moments of healing all over the place, fully capable. Let's lean on him with all we've got. The last step in meeting the heart of the Savior as healer is glorify God as he heals inside and out. Glorify God as he heals inside and out. Yes, he touches the heart. Yes, he touches the soul. Yes, he touches the body. And as we experience those moments of healing, we need to glorify him. Check out what these guys have done. Verse 16, fear sees them all. Okay, this word means awe, respect, an unbelievable awareness of his authority and power. He can change the world. And they went, whoa, better give this guy some respect. What is going on? We better respect him. But more than that, they didn't just back away. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God. In that moment, they lifted up his name. In that moment, they said, whoa, this day has become a great and glorious day. It started as a moment where the woman was looking to just try to get through to just try to go through this processional, this horrid moment of public display of pain, and as she gets done at the end of the day, to just get home and relax and collapse. This was a horrifying day for her, and it has ended up being the most glorious day she can think of. Glory be to God. He has touched my world. That's what we're looking for. A compassionate Savior engaged in our life, changing us, touching us, leaving us going, whoa, you need to meet my Savior glorifying God. Now check out what they say right after it. They said, a great prophet has risen among us. This is the hope of every Jew. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18. There's a great prophet coming and he will change the world. There's a great prophet coming and he is going to make an impact. So when they say a great prophet is coming, they're not going, I wonder if he's a great prophet. They're going, this is the answer. Scripture being fulfilled before our very eyes. Welcome to the great prophet, the promised one. He is changing our world right before us. We need to lift our hands to him. A great prophet, maybe even more, right? They say right after it, God has visited his people. God has visited his people. What a statement. They have recognized that this miracle could be from God and God alone. God has touched in this world. And we better recognize what he's touching, where he's moving, what he's doing. Glory be to God. It says right here, and this report about him spread about the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. I could imagine so. Would you not, if you were one of those crowds of people, at least tell one other person? You know, I'm sitting there at dinner, you're breaking bread, you're talking a little bit. Dude, you should see what I saw today. Like, right? It's going to come out, right? How can you not talk about what you've just seen? Can you imagine being the son? How can you not tell whatever it is you've experienced? The mother, how can you not tell every, this is my son, he was dead, he was just brought back, come meet him. This, that's the guy who did it over there, right? All of a sudden, we get pumped up. 
as we recognize God touching our lives, we get a passion to tell others about God. All too often we go after this, tell others about Christ as some kind of duty, and we're not realizing that it's actually supposed to be a spillover of a passionate excitement for his hand in our lives. We need to seek for the evidences of God at work in us. And we need to be sharing those with everybody as excitedly as we can. Glory be to God. We have a compassionate, healing Savior. He heals the heart every single time. 1 Peter 2, 24. By his wounds we have been healed. He works on the heart, he shapes the heart, and he changes the heart. And at times he even chooses to reach into the physical to draw awareness and attention. He tries to, as John Piper says, shatter the shell of cynicism and awaken people to what God can do. Why does God work in the physical world? Because the heart can be touched at times. And he does it to draw our attention to him. Praise be to God. Whatever it is we're going through, may we draw glory to him. Whatever it is we're going through, may we lift him up. Whatever it is that he's calling us around, may we celebrate that he's called us around it and not through it. Praise be to God. We have a compassionate living God. No matter what he's doing, no matter what is happening, praise be to God. You know, we have a friend up north that um, is going through a ton of physical. She's got migraine headaches uh, probably three, four times a week quite often, even more, yeah, sometimes six, seven times. Just constant migraine headaches. They're not sure what's going on. There was a time a couple years back where she was actually um, taken into the hospital. She had some blood clotting problems going on, and they were beginning to cause pain. And she had had... um, braces on to try to remove some of they were thinking maybe that had something to do with the migraines so she's had braces that are tightened down now the jaw is hurting the migraines are there the blood clots are hurting we go in to visit her in the hospital and the braces had been removed the teeth had kind of come into alignment that that day before and she had the braces off and jana and i were talking with her and, and she actually said uh, to jana you know what god is so good my teeth got into alignment just in time for him to take the braces off so I didn't have to go through any of the jaw pain while he brought on a different pain for me to be dealing with. Isn't God good? And we're standing there going, wow. Like that's a focus. That's an understanding. God does heal. And he was working with her. He didn't take the whole of it away, but he takes moments of it away and he lets her know, I'm right here with you. And today, you know, the blood clotting things are gone and the, and the teeth are more in alignment and, you know, she's still going through some of the migraine pieces, but a lot of that pain has been reduced and removed. And in the midst of it, she was able to say, I'm watching my Savior work with me and shape me and I'm watching him change me for the better. To God be the glory. All too often, we go through and we say, comfort, please. I'll take row one, big space for the legs, please. Thank you, right? That's kind of where we're at. And all too often, we're just trying to order up the biggest comfort we can get. But honestly, what we need to be going after is this. No matter what he's called me to, no matter what he's called me through, no matter what he's called me around, God is a compassionate God who comes alongside of me in my pain. He teaches me. He shapes me. He grows me. May I be more like him every day of my life. I need to give him all that I have. God is so good. He is so good. And in the midst of the pain we feel in this fallen, broken world, may we just recognize this. It's a short time and then an eternity of pure bliss and joy and relationship with him. Let's not try to hang on to some kind of non-pain world here on earth. It's just not the plan. This world fell apart. 
And in the midst of some of the pain we go through, we do have a healing, miraculous God that is all about tomorrow. He is all about your heart and walking you through the tough moments. He is all about being right there with you. Right there. He is compassionate and he is shaping your heart. To God be the glory. Amen? To God be the glory. Amen? We serve a miraculous, compassionate, healing God. And he touches our hearts and at times he even chooses to touch our physical world. To God be the glory. Grace comes pouring down from our God above. May we raise up glory to him. Let's pray.